Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. I want to thank Apple Software as a sponsor of this podcast. You know, one of the challenges for an effective nonprofit leader right now is choosing the best software and digital tools to thrive, especially while we're operating remotely. Researching, learning, and maintaining software can get really costly. So let me save you some time and money. Applos just might be the solution you're looking for. For almost a decade, Applos has grown their mission to provide nonprofits with a powerful all-in-one software to manage their finances, people, and giving efforts. In addition to providing a one-stop shop for all your accounting needs, you can file taxes, accept donations by text, communicate with donors, and get robust reporting all in one place. Now, here's how you can get started. Start a free trial and pay only $1 a month for the first three months. You can even start working in the software the same day. Just go to podcast.aplos.com to learn about this limited offer, which is valid through June 30th. Again, that web address is podcast.aplos.com to jump on this offer and get your nonprofit the digital tools you need. Now on to the show. Well, hey, friends, you know, there's no doubt that the landscape has shifted under our feet over the last three months. I mean, first, the global pandemic of COVID-19 has directly impacted both donors and nonprofit organizations. And then on the heels of this pandemic, in the U.S. anyway, we have had a huge uprising and an unprecedented response to racial injustice in our society. So how should nonprofit leaders respond? How are donors changing their giving priorities? What are the key next steps for nonprofit organizations to navigate through these extremely uncertain times? My guest today is an advisor to some of the world's leading philanthropists, including families, private donors, foundations, Fortune 500 companies, and celebrity activists. Her name is Chris Putnam Walkerly, and she's helped over 100 philanthropists strategically allocate their funds to nonprofit organizations. Chris is also the author of a new book entitled Delusional Altruism, Why Philanthropists Fail to Achieve Change and What They Can Do to Transform Giving. Enjoy today's show. Well, Chris, it's great to have you on the show today. Let's start off by talking about the shifting landscape of fundraising because of this COVID-19 pandemic. What has changed the most for nonprofits because of this pandemic? And how has this crisis impacted donors? That's a great question. Well, I think, you know, one thing which is probably the most abundantly obvious but worth uh, pointing out is that this crisis has literally impacted everybody in the globe. So normally when there's a crisis, a disaster, an earthquake or a flood, uh, you know, some people are impacted and others aren't. It's only happening in certain parts of the world. Uh, but this is something that's really impacted every single person. And so even if, um, you know, even if donors and foundations aren't uh, hurt too bad from the economic fallout and are healthy, everybody certainly had to figure out shelter in place and how to get kids, how to homeschool and worry about what's going on and take care of elderly people, et cetera. So, I think one of the differences is we're not used to having crises as nonprofits where all of our donors are also simultaneously being impacted. 
Um, I think part of the challenge for, for nonprofits has been um, not knowing if or how to reach out to their funders, especially in the uh, immediate aftermath of the, um, you know, the initial lockdowns uh, when everyone was in a bit more of a panic and crisis mode. And, you know, one of the things I've been advising nonprofit leaders is certainly to reach out to your donors. Um, there's really no uh, reason not to, I don't think. I mean, certainly be mindful of what's going on. I think changing messaging, such as reaching out first and foremost to check, out, check in on your donors and ask how they're doing, but also to let them know, you know, how you're responding, what the impact has been, how you might be pivoting and changing and adapting what you're doing, and what your needs are, because, you know, if your donors cared about you pre-crisis, chances are pretty good. I would say that they still care about you and, and want to help if they can and often, um, you know, need some direction and guidance from nonprofits as to some of the best ways they can do that. I think also, you know, nonprofits, unfortunately, are about to enter a perfect storm of fundraising challenges because two things are happening. One is if they were able to receive federal loans and uh, the PPP loan, et cetera, some of those are going to be, you know, coming to an end or they will be having used up all of their funds. At the same time, a lot of funders chose to allocate all of their funding for the entire year immediately in response to this crisis. So there are funders that are literally running out of money from their grant-making budgets for the remainder of the calendar year or their fiscal year. And um, so don't have any additional money to give to support the recovery. And, you know, I was just – I just got a call yesterday from a national U.S.-based foundation looking for advice on how else they can help their nonprofit grantees without giving them any extra money because they have none left in their grant-making budget, which is pretty startling. So I think, you know, there are some ongoing challenges. You've seen how philanthropists and donors can really have a significant impact on organizations that are helping out our communities get through this crisis. But there's some critical guidelines you're giving to these donors in order to make their impact immediate and truly helpful right now. In fact, we're going to talk about speed in a second, but explain your insights on that. Uh, talk about why that's so important and how you're coaching these donors. Yeah, one of the things I'm telling all my clients and all funders and donors to do right now, and quite frankly, all nonprofits, um, is to update their strategy. So assuming you have a strategic plan, and quite frankly, that's often a big assumption, but let's say you have one. Uh, my belief is that any strategy that existed pre-crisis cannot possibly remain intact post-crisis, meaning, you know, something has to change. And so I'm advising everyone to, like, literally pull out your strategic plan. Hopefully that's the document you use all the time and you make decisions based on it and everyone has easy access to it. But maybe it's, you know, you're pull, you're dusting it off the shelf or you're trying to find it in your computer drive. Um, but pull it out and take a look at it as a team, either an executive team or your board, you know, pretty quickly if you haven't already to say, you know, what stays the same? What might need to adapt? What should we abandon? It's no longer relevant. And what might need to completely radically change? And then begin to make some immediate changes to that strategy. You know, I'm a big believer in, uh, speeding up strategy development, uh, that strategy needs to be sentient, organic, breathing, living, you know, uh, moving, shifting, uh, and really kind of thinking out about a year max at most, um, and really thinking about, you know, what kind of organization do we want to be in a year? What kind of impact do we want to have in the next year? Where are we today? 
and what are the two to three to four critical driving factors that are going to help us get from where we are today to what, where we want to be a year from now and begin to act on those. And, and to me, that's super important. And that can be done in like a week. Uh, you know, I usually facilitate these kinds of sessions in a day with teams and, you know, via Zoom, maybe you break that out into three, three hour sessions or something over a week or two. But this is something that can be done quickly. And what's I think really most important is it guides decision making. So it really helps a donor, a funder, a nonprofit know what are the top priorities for us to be focusing on right now so that you know how to allocate your staff time and resources to what's most important, um, especially when we're still working from home and, you know, people I think are still feeling a bit discombobulated and, you know, trying to stay focused. Uh, if they were, you know, working while homeschooling their children, now they're in the summer, they're working while their kids are home and have no camp to go to or whatever's going on, right? And so I think anything you can do to help people know, you know, what are the top two to three things I need to do today and how is that in alignment with what is most important for our organization, our foundation, our philanthropy? To me, that's really important. Uh, another thing uh, for funders to do, I think especially right now, is to begin to cede control over their um, funding and really think about, you know, I think, and as I mentioned this in my book, Delusional Altruism, I devote a whole chapter on how fear holds funders and donors back. Even in normal times, sort of the best of times, funders feel fearful. And one of those fears is fear of losing control. You know, as I'm sure your listeners know all too well, philanthropists hold a lot of power. Um, there's the power to kind of ignite social change, and there's also the power of, you know, being the giver. The giver gives and the donor receives, and donors get to choose, you know, which causes they support, who they fund, what they think is going to happen with those funds. And I think fear... Many donors fear losing that power, and that's where these tight restrictions and lengthy applications and, you know, biannual or annual reporting and, um, you know, blueprints and theories of change and all these things come from that really nonprofits have to – their hoops that nonprofits have to jump through comes out of losing that fear – it's that fear of control and fear of losing control. And I think funders are to think about right now, you know, how do we let go of that control? And um, because it's it's holding them back, it's actually not helpful. Uh, it's really hamstringing the nonprofits uh, and preventing them from doing the work that they know they need to be doing. And we've seen really great examples of this in response to the COVID crisis. Particularly now in the global crisis we found ourselves in with COVID-19, speed is critical, right? Speed is often one of the most critical aspects of uh, organizations being able to respond to a crisis. And again, I think about that for my own um, organization that I lead. We needed uh, quick support to be able to respond to the needs that happened real time, like now. And so it gives a few examples of how both donors and organizations have mobilized quickly, really capitalized on the speed process and, and maybe changing their protocols a little bit with their giving uh, in order so they could apply resources. And, and then in the long run, they had measurable impact on helping to serve those most impacted by this COVID-19 crisis? Yeah, I mean, the great news, quite frankly, is uh, how many funders rapidly shed these long-standing policies and practices and procedures and uh, expectations uh, that they've been clinging to. You know, what's interesting about philanthropy is, you know, there's very little that's required of a foundation 
or a donor. I mean, there's certainly tax issues and implications and uh, some legal accountabilities, but in the grand scheme of things, it's quite frankly not a lot. And really, funders create a lot of these um, time-consuming restrictions. They just make them up, <laughs> honestly. Uh, you know, requirements that you must have, you know, X, you know, amount of information, three photocopies of your proposal, an audited financial statement, um, uh, you know, a site visit, um, that six people have to sign off on a grant. Like all of this stuff is, is created by the funder. And so what's interesting to me is that they get uncreated if they so choose, but often don't. You know, sometimes I think people, you know, some of these um, restrictions might have made sense or rules and regulations when they first got started because they might have wanted to have some kind of controls in place. But often funders outgrow these things and forget to to look at them and, and shed what is no longer serving them. And they just sort of agree, you know, grow like black mold across the foundation. Uh, and so, you know, some examples of funders that quickly made changes, one is the Moses Taylor Foundation in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, they're a client of mine, they're a health conversion foundation, and, you know, they did a couple things really well. They immediately reached out to grantees that they considered to be safety net organizations and said, you know, we're giving you some additional money. I mean, this was in within a week. We're giving you an additional grant. You don't have to ask for it. Uh, you have to apply. The check is ready. All you need to do is come pick it up, which I thought was awesome. They also took all of their um, existing grantees that were already being funded and said, whatever your grant was originally for, you are welcome to use it for core operating support with a clear message that said, we trust you, nonprofit leader, to do whatever you think is best and navigate through this crisis. So use the money as you best see fit. And they said, you know, don't worry about your report. When this is all over, we'll call you and we'll take notes on the conversation to see how you use the money and we'll write the report for you. I mean, to me, that was just amazing. And, you know, it's so important for nonprofit leaders like yourself and your listeners to hear that trust and confidence, I think, from a funder and just the freedom to be able to use that money in whatever way made sense. Speaking as an executive director of a nonprofit, I know that when a donor gives a gift, which is an unrestricted, I mean, not only does that communicate tremendous trust in our organization, but then it really allows us to have maximum flexibility of that gift, you know, to be used where needed most. And in this global pandemic, as we talked about before, organizations truly need maximum flexibility of how and where to apply those funds, you know. Um, so could you talk about, um, from a funding perspective, as why giving to operating funds in general, not just in a pandemic, but just in general across the board and giving unrestricted gifts can be so helpful to nonprofits. Yeah, I think it's really important for three reasons. One is it allows the nonprofit leader to make long-term strategic decisions and invest in their organization in ways that are setting it up for success. So one of the examples I give in my book, Delusional Altruism, is uh, a nonprofit leader that um, and a, a foundation that was able to give um, a three-year grant to support a nonprofit that was trying to create policy change on a particular issue. And the grant allowed the nonprofit, knowing that they had three years of funding and unrestricted funding, it allowed the nonprofit to hire top talent for this work. So she knew somebody that she wanted to hire. Um, and, you know, she would not, this person had already had a job 
and had a family. And uh, if she only had one year of, if the nonprofit only got one year of funding or and, and not um, and restricted funding, she wouldn't have had confidence to be able to hire this leader, like kind of take her from her current job and, you know, bring her to go work for her because she would have felt like I'm not going to ask this woman to risk her own financial security and her family's financial security for just a one-year gig, and if I can't have confidence that I can use this money the way I best see fit. But by having multiple years of unrestricted funding, she was able to hire the best person for the job, uh, knowing that she could guarantee that um, person at least three years of employment, if not more, and, and having the confidence that they could really um, use the money as, as appropriate because, you know, policy change, you have to be able to respond quickly to be nimble, things change, you need to adapt, and if the funding is really tightly restricted to executing on certain deliverables and then the deliverables change, uh, it's really hard to manage. So that's one reason is to, you know, be able to make long-term decisions. And then the other is really, the second is to respond to changing conditions. So, I mean, we've had an unprecedented number of unprecedented changes in the past, you know, four months, five months of the year. Um, this is not typical. Uh, but, you know, things change all the time. I mean, I don't believe there is a new normal coming because I don't think there was ever a normal, right? We, things have always been changing and evolving. And, and so um, one of the ways that rapid, uh, that unrestricted funding is helpful is it allows the nonprofit to be able to adjust and adapt as things change. I mean, certainly if, you know, a natural disaster happens or even just the political environment um, that you're navigating or, you know, often there's a change in leadership. You might be collaborating with other organizations and a key person who's a leader in that collaboration leaves for another job, you know, somewhere else. That changes things, right? You need to be able to rapidly respond. And then the third is that it, unrestricted funding saves everyone time. I mean, quite frankly, it saves the nonprofit, the funder a lot of time because they don't have to spend so much time, like, carefully, you know, coming up with, their goals and particular strategies and tactics and, you know, blueprints and theories of change and all this stuff that tightly tries to weave the nonprofits into their, you know, vision of what has to happen and how it has to happen. You can still clearly have a strategy as you should and, you know, goals as to what you're trying to accomplish, but it frees up the donor time to just give the money as general operating support, unrestricted funding, and allow the nonprofit to, you know, again, try to meet those goals, but do it in a way that it sees fit. And then it certainly saves the nonprofit leader a tremendous amount of time, as you and I'm sure your listeners know. You know, you're not trying to pretend, <laughs> you know, all these different project grants all add up to, you know, what you're trying to really do. You don't have to manage all these different budgets um, and expectations and funding reports you know, identifying how you're meeting all these various objectives and things like that. It really saves the nonprofit leader a tremendous amount of their own administrative time. Uh, so instead of, you know, dancing around these restricted grants, you can actually lead your organization to uh, achieve your mission.
We are sponsored by Cinch Web Services, your best choice for WordPress support. We have a special offer for those who listen to this show. Cinch is the best choice you can make for WordPress and WooCommerce support. They're experts at solving all sorts of website issues, from big problems like fixing a completely broken site, to the tiniest of details that are stumping you. Cinch offers an ongoing support plan starting at $99 a month, which covers all mandatory website maintenance tasks, plus 30-minute fixes for free. I personally use Cinch for my websites, and I can say that the support and expertise I've received from them is top-notch. They're great to work with, and I no longer need to worry about the health or status of our websites because Cinch is there for us. And here's the best part. You can get 50% off your first month of support at cinchws.com slash nonprofitleadership. And just use the promo code leadership during checkout. Once again, that is cinchws.com slash nonprofitleadership. And use the promo code leadership for 50% off your first month of support. We want to thank Cinch for sponsoring our show and for being a reliable support team that we can trust. Well, I want to thank Aplo Software as a sponsor of this podcast. You know, one of the challenges for an effective nonprofit leader right now is choosing the best software and digital tools to thrive, especially while we're operating remotely. Researching, learning, and maintaining software can get really costly. So let me save you some time and money. Aplos just might be the solution you're looking for. For almost a decade, Aplos has grown their mission to provide nonprofits with a powerful all-in-one software to manage their finances, people, and giving efforts. In addition to providing a one-stop shop for all your accounting needs, you can file taxes, accept donations by text, communicate with donors, and get robust reporting all in one place. Now, here's how you can get started. Start a free trial and pay only $1 a month for the first three months. You can even start working in the software the same day. Just go to podcast.aplos.com to learn about this limited offer, which is valid through June 30th. Again, that web address is podcast.aplos.com to jump on this offer and get your nonprofit the digital tools you need. Hey, everybody, Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Show. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other interviews with fascinating guests that I've previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org, and there you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I think you'll really enjoy those interviews. We want to give you more content, and we'd like to get that information to you. And all you have to do is give us your email. When you go to that website, you can put your email address in that first box you'll see on the front page, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. In addition to some great content, you'll see the latest uh, podcast shows. It will be actually sent right to your inbox. And that way you'll never miss any of the great content on this show. The other thing I'll mention to you is if you have questions or comments or you'd like to be on the show, do not hesitate to email me. I'd love to hear from you. Just do that through our website, my email, rob at ccofpc.org. Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. You coach a lot of donors, I know, and you coach a lot of foundations. And when you do that, what are some of the most important questions to ask an organization, in your opinion, in order to get at the heart of what they really need? Well, you know, I think to find out what people really need, you ask them one important question, which is, what do you really need? <laughs> uh, I mean, I say that jokingly, but honestly, it's really true. You know, I was just talking with a nonprofit um, fund development consultant who said, you know, he was meeting with a client and a possible funder. They had submitted a proposal. Time had gone by, and they were kind of re-meeting with that funder. And the funder said to them, you know, it's been a while since you put this proposal together. Let's just put it aside for a second and looked at them straight in the eye and said, just tell me what you actually need. 
and the fund development consultant said they, you know, they practically fell off their chair. They had never heard a funder like just ask them and be honest about like, tell me what you honestly need. But you know, it really does not have to get any more complicated than that. I think it's um, a lot of it's about building trust with nonprofits, but it's about showing up and um, and letting them know like we understand this is hard. We understand you know it's a challenging time. Um, what do you actually need right now? And then quite fr- and then being willing to support it. I mean, you don't you might not be able to support it, but you're certainly willing to hear it. Um, and if you can't support whatever that is, you know, let people know why. But but also to be there for your nonprofit leaders during times of crisis. And I'm I'm not even referring to COVID crises. I'm referring to things like succession issues or technology or infrastructure problems or governance problems. You know, you really as a donor, you want your nonprofit leaders to trust you enough to be able to share with you what's not going well in the organization so that they can show up, you know, so that you as the donor can show up for them and help them get through that crisis. Um, one of the stories I share in the book is a, a nonprofit arts organization that, you know, was hobbling along with like four different databases that I think were even running off of Excel, you know, one for, it was a theater, so one for, you know, ticket sales, one for donors, one for attendance whatever it was, and they were too afraid to tell their donors what we really need is money for a much more robust, comprehensive, single, you know, database system to track all of this because they were afraid the funder was going to say, well, you obviously don't know what you're doing and you're, you know, not organized very well. We're not going to fund you. So instead they were just hobbling along and, you know, wasting time and money and, you know, not able to grow as quickly as they could have been because of their poor, you know, this infrastructure problem they had with their database. And and that that's not what you want as a donor. You want your, your grantee partners to trust you and come to you. Um, there's another example on the flip side I shared with in the book, which is um, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, another client of mine, uh, was supporting a nonprofit. There was a really important nonprofit child advocacy organization in Maryland that they were funding. And that organization was having a leadership crisis. And the NE Casey Foundation was funding a lot of leadership development, nonprofit pipeline, um, building the pipeline of leaders of color and succession planning, et cetera. And, you know, luckily the nonprofit came to the Casey and said, hey, you know, this is happening. And, you know, Casey said, you know, not great, but okay, like, we'll help you. We'll give you money specifically to help navigate this um, leadership challenge and this, and do some succession planning and be able to bring in a new executive director and really position that executive director for success. And they did that. And that, to me, is a great example of really kind of stepping in and helping um, nonprofits to be, you know, successful even in these times of crises. We're also in this midst of not just the COVID-19 crisis, but right on the heels of that, this unprecedented response to racial injustice in our society, protests in seem like every major American city. So how should philanthropists and organizations best respond to this uprising in an honest and proactive way? In other words, without coming across as potentially disingenuous. Yeah, so I would say, you know, both for nonprofit organizations and funders, um, you know, I think it starts with taking an honest look at yourselves and, you know, um, really thinking about 
how, you know, what does institutionalized racism mean for your organizations? Um, how are you showing up as an organization? In what ways are you contributing to the problem or part of the problem or trying to address the problem? Um, really thinking, of, you know, genuinely about issues of diversity, inclusion, and racial equity within your organization. And, um, you know, taking a hard and honest look at that and just recognizing that, you know, wherever you're at, there is always a lot of opportunity for improvement and growth and change. And, you know, I mean, one of the things that's, I mean, there's so many unprecedented things about what's going on, but one of them is, you know, the willingness of people to recognize, you know, like white nonprofit leaders, white funders to recognize their own racism and uh, implicit bias and making changes uh, and trying to do something differently. Um, and, you know, the, the level of conversation that's happening right now, the discourse, the extent to which mainstream media is re- is using the terms like systemic racism and institutionalized racism, I, I think is really stunning. Um, and uh, and really, you know, you there's no shortage of information and resources to guide you. Um, there's certainly been a lot of effort in the past couple of years, I mean, really in the past couple of decades, by organizations like PolicyLink to focus on equity and inequitable policies, especially against, you know, marginalized communities, communities of color, as well as a lot of funding um, that's been happening nationally through the Ford Foundation and Kellogg Foundation and others to really ad- advance um, equity and racial equity and philanthropy. And, you know, many parts of the nonprofit sector have also been doing this for decades. So I think there's a, a lot of really useful resources have been generated as a result. So, there, and, you know, you can do a quick Google search. I think the flip side, the challenge is it can be so overwhelming to know what to do because every time you, you know, find an article, it's, you know, 20 ways to, <laughs> to make change and you're wondering which one you should focus on. So well, I would say start somewhere. You know, I think I, I advise this of my clients all the time in whatever it is they're working on. If you're feeling overwhelmed or not sure what to do, like just start somewhere and make changes. So that could be starting on a learning journey, really having conversations at your organization that you might not have had before. Um, taking specific actions, you know, pick one or two or three max things that you can do differently just for the next few months. No, thanks for that. And Chris, not only do you work with lots of philanthropists and donors and foundations, but you just recently authored a new book. It's entitled Delusional Altruism, Why Philanthropists Fail to Achieve Change and What They Can Do to Transform Giving. I love your title. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how more people can find out about you and find out about your new book. Yes, yeah, so the book um, is, of course, available for purchase, and you can go to delusionalaltruism.com, and that will provide you with additional information about the book, links to purchase it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc. There's also a free discussion guide for the book that you can download from that website. So delusionalaltruism.com would be the place to go to find out about the book. And then I'm offering right now to um, – all funders and nonprofit leaders, if you'd like to have a free consultation call with me to discuss any of the ideas in the book or, you know, any aspect of your work and especially for funders, you know, how you can pivot your strategy and really seize this opportunity to create change, um, you're welcome to schedule one 
you can do that by going to a website, which is speakwithchris.com. So that's Chris with a K, speakwithchris.com. And there's a just a quick web form you can fill out, and I'm happy to schedule a free, you know, 45-minute Zoom conversation at your convenience. That's great. Well, again, I encourage my listeners to check out her book. Again, it's called Delusional Altruism by Chris Putnam Walkerly. Uh, Chris, thanks for taking time to be on the show and tell us a little bit more about your insights when it comes to how COVID-19 and now, of course, the uprising against racial injustice has impacted fundraising. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thank you so much. I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better.